You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing today, folks? Doing pretty good? Yeah. (laughs) Well, good to see you, and good to be with those of you here in the cameo and online. What do you say we pray and ask God to help us by His Spirit today? God, we're so open to you and our hearts and our minds to receive truth from you, from your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Does anybody remember from 2018 the story that was in all of our news cycles about the Thai cave boys? You know, those boys that were a part of the wild boars soccer team, and they were trapped deep inside of a cave in Thailand. Well, these boys, what happened was they went exploring along with their young coach into this cave system, and they'd done this many times before, but something happened different this time. Waters rose, like these floodwaters were streaming off the mountain into the cave system, and it trapped them in there. They couldn't get back out the way that they had gone in. And to make a long story short, the, one of the boys had a birthday party. The boys did not show up to the birthday party, and the parents started getting worried, like, where are the boys? And they sent someone to look for them, and they found their bicycles at the entrance of the cave, and then they started worrying, and local rescue workers came to try and figure it out and get these boys out of this cave, and then they couldn't get them out, and rescue workers from all over the world, like where there were thousands of people on the team, were flying in to Thailand to try and get these boys out of there, right? There were uh, rescue workers of every sort, military people, expert divers from all over the world, like cave divers, flew in to Thailand to try and figure this thing out. And when one British diver who worked his way, worked himself way back into this cave system, and he found the boys alive in a small chamber, an air pocket. And you can see the picture on screen of the first contact with the boys. Can you imagine you're one of those boys, and they've been trapped in there for over a week, and you've been in darkness in this little cavern, and this dude just kind of pops up out of the water with a flashlight, and you're like, dude, turn that thing down. You know, my eyes are adjusting here. But they're thinking, whoa. And so when the diver went back out to tell everybody he had found the boys, parents, I mean, can you imagine how their parents felt? Parents were relieved, people all over the world. Now there were just tons of media there broadcasting the story. People were so relieved that the boys had been found alive but now comes the real problem because it took some of the best divers in the world to get down in there two and a half miles inside this cave system just to find them. So you mean to tell me you're going to take these young boys who have never gone scuba diving, some of them even aren't strong, strong swimmers, and they're going to be able to make that trek back out of that cave system? So... The team went to work to figure out what to do. Let me show you the route out of the cave. You can see they're two and a half miles in, and much of the way you have to go for long periods of time underwater with scuba gear, and see in the middle there where there's a red circle around that area? That's two feet wide. 
So you want to go through there, through that two feet wide? Not me, Holmes, okay? <laughs> like that, that, is, that is crazy, man. And so put yourself in the place of these boys. The hour comes when the rescue worker says, you've got to come out. I know this is gonna be scary, but you've got to come out. Can you imagine what they were feeling, what they were thinking? More on this story in a little bit, but those of you that have been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been studying through the mysterious book of Revelation. Today we land in chapter 18, where some Christ followers are in the evil city under the influence of the evil city called Babylon, and the floodwaters of God's judgment are about to come, but God in his grace and mercy wants to rescue people from said floodwaters, and he has a message for his kids in Revelation chapter 18, verse four. Look at the first two words, come out. It's time to come out. Come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And so when it comes to the Babylon of our age, we've got to come out. And that is the one transforming idea I wanna submit to you today. It's simply this, come out. Let's say those two words together, whether you're worshiping online or in the cameo. Ready, here we go. Come out. We've got to come out of the Babylon of this age, and you know, last week, if you were here, you heard a more detailed explanation of the Babylon of our age. If you missed it, you can go back and look at the podcast or watch it on YouTube or whatever, but we saw last week that Babylon not only represents an evil empire in the Old Testament of the Bible, not only does it represent a future evil empire during the seven years of tribulation, during the end times, the Antichrist and all that, but Babylon is here today. The presence of Babylon, the digital Babylon that seeks to colonize our hearts and our minds with the spirit and for the spirit of Antichrist. But here's the thing is that Babylon is and was so tempting to wanna be a part of. Babylon was a great city. We see it in Revelation 18 that Babylon was a great city. Look at what the text says. And this week I'm seeing patterns in the text, you'll see multiple mentions of things that are important in the chapter. Look at Revelation 18, 10. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon. Then verse 16, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen. Verse 18, what city was like the great city? Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. And if you were to go back to ancient Babylon, as it was the place of the hanging gardens, which were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, it was a city of global pride. Everyone saw Babylon as the place to be. And even in more recent years, the late Saddam Hussein proclaimed himself the new king of Babylon. He even had a coin minted that had him along with Nebuchadnezzar, the ancient evil king of Babylon. So when you think about coming out of Babylon, think about what ancient Jews thought. Because remember we learned last week that they were exiled out of their homeland into Babylon. So were they to literally leave the place 
that they had been taken? Well, here's what Jeremiah told them, those people who were in this strange city. He said, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So to come out of Babylon doesn't mean physically getting out of Babylon, but it means getting Babylon out of you. You follow me there? It's about getting Babylon out of you. And today I'm gonna show you three ways to get out, to come out of Babylon. Look at number one. Come out of the Babylon economy. This comes in Revelation chapter 18, verse three. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Verse seven, she glorified herself and lived in luxury. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo, look at their cargo. Cargo of gold, jewels, pearls, and then a long list of cargo. But look at the long, the end of the list. They also had as cargo slaves, that is, human souls. So you see the kingdom or the economy of Babylon takes advantage of the lives of other people, human souls. In case you needed a Bible verse that tells us that slavery is wrong, here it is. God condemns the marginalization, the slavery of other people. He condemns the past slave trade here in the southern United States. He judges the coyotes who mistreat immigrants today. He judges the Eastern European child sex traders that are trading children today in the sex trade. And so as we think about the text today, let's compare the economy of Babylon that marginalizes others in order for a select few to live in luxury with the kingdom or the economy of Jesus. And Jesus explains his way of economic thinking in Matthew 25. And Matthew 25, in case you hadn't read it, is basically about money management and the coming judgment of Jesus at the end of the age. And the first little highlight of Matthew 25 I wanna show you is that God gives his money for us to steward. This is from Matthew 25, 14. Look at that verse. He calls his own servants and entrusted whose possessions? His possessions to them. So here was the part that was a rude awakening for me. My stuff is not my stuff. It's God's stuff, right? Your stuff is not your stuff. It's God's stuff. And one of the other highlights of Matthew 25 is we'll see that God loves it when we invest his money and make more money, but he hates it when we mismanage his money that he's given us to manage. In fact, if you read Matthew 25, you'll see this one guy in the passage that he was given five talents of money. A talent wasn't like a skill or an ability, it was a measurement of money. And this guy invested the five that he had and he made five more, making a total of 10 talents. So God was pleased with this guy, but there was another guy in Matthew 25 that he was afraid. 
He was afraid to do anything with the money or to invest it in anything. And look at what Jesus says to this guy in Matthew 25, verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have, and what? Abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And look, I wanna show you what's going on in our world today is that there is a system of oppression designed to keep people, people in poverty through a fearful poverty mindset. Poverty is not what you have, it's how you think. It is a mindset. And I believe that Chris Hogan is very insightful about breaking down the poverty mindset in his book entitled Everyday Millionaires. His team conducted the largest and most comprehensive study of millionaires in the United States that's ever been done. They surveyed over 10,000 millionaires for this study. And one of the things that they found is what many people think in our culture is that a lot of people think that millionaires inherited all their money. Have you ever thought that? I have. That's way wrong. The data reveals that most people who are millionaires did not inherit it. Look at what, what he says. The overwhelming majority, 79% of millionaires in the United States did not receive any inheritance from uh, their family members. Um, and then it says, like, while one in five millionaires, 21% received some inheritance, only 3% received an inheritance of a million dollars or more. Let that land on you for a minute. The vast majority of millionaires either didn't get any inheritance at all or certainly didn't get enough to make them a million dollars. You know what millionaires do? They live on less than what they make. They plan ahead. They save. The book says they use coupons. Hello? Okay, and can I tell you one of the things that was interesting to me is that they stay married. Of the Millionaires that are married, 75% of married millionaires have been married for 32 years on average. And so, hey, there's a payoff if you stay with that old goat. You know what I'm saying? So look at this. He says, uh, he's talking about what are the top professions of millionaires. And if you, if you were just asked that, we would probably just say conventional wisdom would say, hey, they're doctors and lawyers and stuff like that. Let me show you the top three professions of millionaires in the United States. Number one, engineer. Number two, accountant. Number three, teacher. Only 31% averaged $100,000 a year over the course of their career, and one-third never made six figures in any single working year of their career. So because of all this data, Chris Hogan, who's done the homework, 
says, I've talked to a lot of millionaires and most of them have average jobs with average pay like teachers or firefighters. It just goes to show that how you spend and invest the money you make matters more than how much you actually bring home. And let me tell you, here's why I'm telling you all this information about millionaires is because part of the Babylonian system of oppression for you and I is that they're using a prejudice that we have against people who know how to manage our money to keep us in poverty. That's what's happening. We shouldn't have a prejudice to people, toward people who know how to manage their money. We should learn from them. Hello? So look, here's another reason I'm telling you this. I have been all over the world for the past 30 years ministering to people who are under-resourced and impoverished. And I've worked in the inner city of San Antonio, the urban core, for over 13 years alongside and with and for people who are under-resourced in poverty. And most people I've met that are poor don't want to be poor. And I don't want you to be poor and stay poor. I want you to make enough to provide for yourself and your family and to be generous like what I know is already in your heart to do. And you know that you can be blessed with a little bit and you can be blessed with a lot, but you cannot be blessed with a fearful poverty mindset, right? So look, the data, not my opinion, The data supports the fact that you can do it. And some of you have believed the lie that in order for you to have more abundance, that you have to become a professional athlete or get into an Ivy League school or inherit a million bucks from some distant uncle or some craziness like that. But that is not true. You can work, you can earn, you can save, you can invest, and you can be generous. You can do it. I know that you can. And God says, come out of the economy of Babylon. And there are a lot of people that it's in their hearts to be generous, but they can't because they don't have anything to be generous with. It's like Margaret Thatcher said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he had only had good intentions. He had money as well. And so some of us have to come out of Babylon. I also know people in our church who were buried and stuck deep in the cave of financial debt and years of financial mismanagement. And we're not pointing the finger, we're reaching out a hand to say, we wanna rescue and help. That's why we have Financial Peace Tribe. I just saw Bobby Prado, he and his awesome wife, lead that group where they teach you, they can show you the skills to get out of debt and wisely manage your money. And look, why does God want us to manage our money? Is it so we can pile up more Amazon boxes on the front porch? No. The answer is in the same chapter, Matthew 25. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I was a prisoner. You visited me. See, the reason God wants to manage our money, invest our money, and make more money is so that we can do more good by giving it away. And by the way, whatever happened to the people who did not food, give food and clothing and shelter to people in Matthew 25? It didn't go well so, so well for them at all. At all. So this is why this, that on Sunday... November the 21st, here at our church, 
we're going to have a banquet for our friends that are living on the streets. And you guys see brothers and sisters who are part of our tribe and our church who are living on the streets in our services every week, and we're going to invite people who are living under the bridges and everywhere around here, perhaps that don't go to our church, some do, to have a banquet next door in the cafe on Sunday, November the 21st. And so those of you that are regulars here, we're all gonna give preferential treatment to our brothers and sisters that are living on the street. We're gonna give them preference for seating. We're gonna give them preference for space in the cafe. Don't go over there and gorge yourself on barbecue and eat their food. You know, you might have a piece. I might sample a little bit myself, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, we wanna give preference to our friends that are living on the street that day. And I wanna call all pit masters. If you're great at barbecuing, someone has donated or allowed us to use these really big, awesome mobile pits. You've seen those things. It takes a, you know, a tr- big truck to pull them. You know, they're going to pull up out here. But we need more people who know how to barbecue like that. And so if you're like not a flake and you'll sign up and you'll actually show up and do the thing. And by the way, if you flake on this, I'd, I'd pray the fleas of a million camels to nest on your armpits, right? But look, if you want to show off your barbecue skills, just go to citytribe.church/events, and you can get involved there in our feeding and uh, banquet to our friends that are living on the streets on November the 21st. It's going to be closer to Thanksgiving. Everybody's, you know, filling everybody up with turkey. We're going to do something a little bit different and make some all kinds of awesome stuff with smorgasbord for our friends there. But this kind of stuff happens because you guys are generous and serve as a part of the Jesus economy. Did you know that through your tithes right here at City Tribe this year, you guys have provided food, shelter, and clothing for 118 people, 79 of them were children at Strong Foundation. And that, yeah, that's worth clapping for, right? And this all happened because those of you that follow Jesus bring a first fruit, like a first priority, tithe here to the local storehouse, the church, which is God's chosen instrument to rescue people in this world as a best practice to give in order to see justice and mercy done in the world. And by the way, if you ever want to go see the people that you've been investing in at Strong Foundation, you can always come to Kids Time, the first Wednesday of the month at citytribe.church slash tribes, info about that, and go over to Strong Foundation and take a look and see those awesome folks. But This is the economy of Jesus. Remember, the economy of Babylon takes advantage of others in order to live in luxury. And the kingdom of Jesus is about wise financial management and generosity to not take advantage of said people, but to serve and love those people through our love and generosity. But we come out of the economy of Babylon. And here's the second thing we come out of. We come out of Babylon's spirituality and sexuality. Look at Revelation chapter 18, verse two. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And if you fast forward to verse 23, it says, all nations were deceived by your sorcery. So we see here that there's this connection between spirituality 
and sexuality. You can't separate those two things. You can't say, hey, I do this sex life over here, but my spirituality is over here. Those two things are interconnected. And I think that's what author David Foster Wallace picks up on. He's not a Christian author, not a Christ follower. He's a well-respected college professor and writes novels. And he said, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Look at this last part. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Isn't that the truth. Worshiping sex is not new to our age. We've been reading about it and studying about it throughout the entire book of Revelation. And we've seen that the sexual expression of the digital Babylon in which we live leads people to isolation, to loneliness, and from disconnection. Right now, in Japan, they're dealing with something called celibacy syndrome where these young Japanese men in their 20s and 30s, they sit around all night in their apartments looking at porn and they don't have the emotional capacity to even engage in a legitimate relationship with a woman. They'd rather just look at porn. And then here in the United States, Joanna Coles used to work for the New York Times and she did this article on this subject. She said, getting naked and having sex with strangers is hard. She tells me, we portray it as fun, we pretend it's fun, but people crave intimacy, which is not easy to create in a hookup. That's why Britain just appointed a loneliness minister. Let that land on you for a minute. Loneliness and disconnection and isolation is so common in the UK right now that they had to appoint a governmental official who is over loneliness in the country there. Isn't that crazy? So let it land on you. And look, as you, as you think about this, I remember, and I know how scary that can be, when God says, come out of the sexual Babylon. I remember when he beckoned me in that way, come out of the sexual Babylon. And it's scary, isn't it? It's scary, just like for this voice, because it's like, you mean I'm gonna have to tell someone else all the darkest things I've ever thought or done in my sex life? It's so embarrassing, it's hard. But I thank God that there were people that were patient and loving with me and gently led me out of that cave of slavery, see? So that's why we offer our conquerors tribes here at the church, is so that there are people that are gonna be there, because remember, when it comes to the sexual Babylon, we don't point the finger, we reach out the hand to say, we wanna help you out, because we're all dealing with that one, aren't we? Don't we all have to deal with that one at some level? And so we say, we'll take you by the hand and lead you out and show you a better way 
in the kingdom of Jesus is so different than Babylon. Like intimacy has connection and love and commitment, right? So God has something so much better, and I think it's revealed on a recent study. And they did this national study using data that had been gathered by Baylor University, and they asked people of every different kind of philosophy of life and spirituality about their sex lives and stuff. And here are two of the findings there. One is that married couples with strong spirituality were not only having better sex, but more frequent sex. Right on? And then the second finding was this, that participants attending religious services frequently were more likely to say that they were satisfied or completely satisfied with their sex lives. And so in light of the data, if you want a better sex life, every Sunday, City Tribe Church, 8.30, 10, 11.30, or 1 o'clock, in the cameo, or online. It's just according to the data. Your friends at work or wherever ask you, where, where are you going this weekend? Oh, I'm going to church on Sunday because I want to have a better sex life, right? It's just, just numbers, right? So, hey, we're leaving the digital Babylon, the Babylon of the age, and we're entering into something more beautiful in our sexual relationships. But look at number three. Come out of Babylon on time. This is a time-based exercise. Three times in Revelation, we look at the demise of Babylon happening in like a single day, a single hour. Look at Revelation 18.8. Her plagues will come in a single day. Verse 10, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. Verse 17, for in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Verse 19, for in a single hour, she has been laid waste. I think we all know that our entire lives can be completely changed in an hour. You're probably thinking of different times in your life where just in a short time, radical change happened, either for the good or the bad. Now, let's check back in with the Thai cave boys for a minute. And I wanna take you back there to the rescue. The rescuers, after they created the plan, all these people were lined up to help, and they were able to get the boys out of there. The boys made the, you know, the brave choice to get out of there. And um, the hour came for them to do it. And they took the boys out in three different batches. And they were cutting it close on time. And by the time the last of the boys and their coach were out of there, there were still rescue workers in the cave system who had helped all along the way. And they were cutting it close because now all of a sudden the water level was rising by one foot per hour. So they're cutting it close here and to make matters worse, they had these big massive industrial pumps that were pumping water out of the cave system in order to keep the water levels down so the rescue could happen. And the pump broke. And when the last rescue worker came out, the water uh, just started flooding into this cave system. It's the difference that a single hour can make. It could have been the difference between triumph or tragedy. But now look at this next picture of the boys. They got out of there 
and they're honored all over the world today. Perhaps you've seen them on the talk show circuit. They've been on all the different talk shows. In fact, Netflix just signed a deal to tell this story in a Netflix series that I'll be sure to watch. But do you know why these boys live to tell the tale? And do you know why these boys are being honored all over the world today? Two reasons. Number one, when the rescuer said, come out, those boys had the courage to put on a full face dive mask and go. It takes courage to come out of the cave of Babylon. And number two, they got out because there was an army of rescuers who were pooling their abilities, skills, gifts, and their resources. And we have a group of rescuers here. We call our volunteers the eagles who are seeking to make a difference, like we say, on our wall. And we've discovered our purposes, and we're learning our unique gifts and abilities. We discover our purpose in order to go in and rescue people. And we pool our money, our resources, to fund the rescue efforts because it's so important bringing people out of the kingdom of Babylon. Our eagles are saying, I'll go in, I'll be brave, I'll dive through the cave, and I'll rescue you, but you have to come out. Take me by the hand. I wanna gently lead you out where there's love and spiritual family. So with this in mind, how about we bow for prayer and wrap up? And as we pray, is God impressing on you in your mind to come out of something in order to come into something beautiful and new? To come out of a sexual relationship or to come out of an abusive relationship or to come out of abusing someone else but come into God's plan? Come out of an unhealthy debt or come out of overspending, come into generosity and stewardship. Come out of isolation and come into the kingdom where you'll find true community. Come out of Babylon and unbelief and come into love relationship with Jesus. Just tell him right now in your heart if you've never known him, Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. I welcome you into my life and I choose to come out with you. I believe you rose again from the dead to give me new life. And those of us who are already followers of his, we say to him, God, I choose to have courage to go into that cave through the murky, sketchy waters to rescue others from the cave of Babylon. So God help us in this endeavor with your strength and courage, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? So as we wrap up, um, let me remind you just a couple of things. One is that we're gonna have what's called tribal orientation this afternoon. If you're new here or if you've been here for a while and you wanna be connected or be a part, kind of join up with the tribe, that's why we ha I, I do the tribal orientation class. And it's happening today at 2.20 right here in the Cameo Theater, right after the last service. We'll be here live and 
for those of you that are worshiping online, you can stream it on YouTube. So I'd love to see you there. Also, I said a lot about giving during the sermon, so I'm not going to repeat all that now, but I'll just give you a little reminder. We follow those of us that follow Jesus, those who don't, don't do this, but those of us who do, we're trying to bring a first fruit tithe at the storehouse to fund the rescue efforts. And since we don't pass buckets or plates here, here are the four ways that we get it done. Um, There's a new text to tithe number that I wanted to remind you about. It's uh, 833 3812888. I was hoping for, I asked them if they could get 444, 4444, but it was already taken. So we're going to go with this number. But then if you, you know, text the tithe, you can mail it in. Uh, you can also go online, slash tithe, or in person at the giving stations that are located near the exits. You can hit a QR code there, or you can just drop it in the box there. So before you guys worship through your stewardship, let's stand up and receive these words of benediction over you. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from this place, may you extract the Babylon from your heart and from your consciousness and walk in the ways of the kingdom of Jesus, walk out of debt and uh, dysfunctional sexuality, walk into the ways of Jesus and generosity to the poor and caring for others, walk from here empowered by God's spirit to go through the murky, sketchy waters to rescue those who desperately need us. Walk from here in power as rescuers. You guys have an amazing Sunday. Go Cowboys. We'll see you next time. Peace, right? We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.